We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Meckis and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire. Welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire and BetOnline.ag. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. I'll be quick with housekeeping today. On this episode, we are breaking down Talladega Nights, all-timer Will Ferrell sports comedy. Wes Blankenship returned to the pod to help me break it down. He joined me a few months back to talk high school football movies. Wes is an Atlanta area media guy. He's got a podcast, Back Porch Sports, which everyone needs to check out. He's a great guest to talk this one with as someone who's had to cover NASCAR professionally and just generally a good dude from the South. This is a NASCAR spoof and a Southern spoof, one of my favorites. If you haven't yet, please go rate Big Screen Sports five stars on Apple Podcasts and share this podcast with a friend who also likes sports movies. And go join the Big Screen Sports group on Facebook to talk sports movies and get your listener questions in for each episode. I am only taking questions from the Facebook group. Had a really good one in this episode uh, from Corey Cohen, I believe. Uh, Fantastic question to talk. So uh, yeah, get those in at the Big Screen Sports Facebook group. Um, lastly, myself and this podcast are supporting Campaign Zero and its goal to end police violence in America. You can check out Campaign Zero's plan and donate at joincampaignzero.org, which will be in the show notes. With that, let's talk Ricky Bobby, Cal Naughton Jr., and Talladega Nights. All right, my guest on today's episode of Big Screen Sports, he joined me last year to talk about high school football movies. Today, he's here to talk about NASCAR. He's a freelance broadcaster and host of Backport Sports, Wes Blankenship. Wes, thanks for returning to Big Screen Sports. Yeah, Kyle, I think we all have a little bit more time on our hands these days, maybe a little less day by day as uh, we get back into somewhat of a normal routine, depending on your comfort level, but I'm happy to spend some time chatting with you today my man yeah it's been a uh it's been very much a a free time free time paradise if you're if you're a fan of that um before we get going tell the folks where they can find your work where they can find back porch sports sure so back porch sports is my podcast i do 
you know, I do it weekly. Uh, most of the time, uh, infant daughter has kind of changed some of that uh, planning. Congrats, by the way. That's yeah. a new development from our last recording. Yep, yep. A lot of new developments, man. Um, so, yeah, I try to go every week, if not every other week. And I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia. So the nature of Atlanta is and, you know, has been for a while. It's a transplant city. So Atlanta has its teams. But if you are interested in hearing updates on or, you know, unique takes on what's going on around the SEC or around the NFC South um, or just, you know, athletes that happen to be from Atlanta, if they're making the news, I'm going to have a take about it and uh, recently have, have really tried to make a switch and drive to have some good guests on every episode instead of just me pontificating, which I could do um, on my own, no problem, but I think it's a better service to people that are listening to hear from guests. I've had um, Marty Smith from ESPN on, um, I've had other broadcasters and athletes from around the Southeast. And, uh, you know, it's just, that's kind of just a little flavor of what I have going on. So if that strikes you as interesting, I hope you check it out. Well, everyone check out uh, Wes's show, and we were talking before we recorded about your work previously as, as a broadcaster, and uh, the fact that you are, you know, you're an Atlanta guy, you're a Southern guy, and NASCAR is the the sport of the South, a deep-rooted sport in the South at least, and that's why today the movie we are covering is Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Hey, I'm Ricky Bobby. I live and die by one motto. If you ain't first, you're last. That's awesome, I know. Small brains. Okay, I'm starting to get sick. You don't drive with your eyes. You gotta feel the road. Come with big wheels. I am coming for you, Ricky Bobby. You sound like a dog with peanut butter on the roof of your mouth. You don't think I'm paralyzed? It's all in your head. Ah! Will Ferrell. Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Which is the 2006 NASCAR comedy. It starred Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, Leslie Bibb, and Sasha Baron Cohen. is directed by Adam McKay and written by McKay and Ferrell. Got a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes and 160 grossed $163 million worldwide at the box office. A lot of that was was domestic, a big, a big chunk. Which makes sense. NASCAR is a a very much not a worldwide sport. I would say. I think is predominantly a southern sport. Um, right off the bat, Wes, for this one for you, is it a Hall of Fame, All Star starter, or bench warmer sports movie? This movie for me specifically is in my Hall of Fame, no doubt about it. Um, comedies, sports, sports comedies, it checks any of those boxes for me. Um, and I saw it when I was, I guess, 16 years old, pretty impressionable time to be, uh, seeing movies. That's when you really start to find the comedies that you kind of quote for the rest of your life, I think in a lot of instances and, um, saw this one in the theater with my best friends and, um, certainly something that, uh, I, I've, I've always remembered as just a good memory. Like you see some movies in the theater and you remember the experience of being in the theater because you were laughing so hard if it was a comedy. And this was one of those movies for me. This one in Superbad, I think it was like an event as much as it was going to see a movie. And uh, that's what Talladega Nights is for me. And, and now watching it at home, whether it's streaming or um, today I had to 
catch up a little bit on it, make sure I, I found all the nuances I wanted to touch on and, and watching it at home on DVD, uh, still just had moments that had me laughing out loud. Well, you mentioned that we're, we're both in the same age range and you mentioned those quotable, rewatchable comedies, the things you grew up on. And you can't, for me, you can't talk about this one with just, without just touching on the run that Will Ferrell's on as far as that comedy is. I think for people of our age, at least in the, in what are we calling them? The aughts now, 2000 to, to 2010, he was the comedic movie star. He's probably the biggest box office comedic movie star, but it basically kicked off with Anchorman. Um, I mean, well, I guess no, old school, then Anchorman, then this, then Blades of Glory, then Semi-Pro, then Step mm-hmm. Brothers. And it's just these, this, these continual, quotable, outrageous comedies. And then he's got that... Um, yeah, the cameo in Wedding Crashers, the right. iconic meatloaf line. It's, I mean, in this this comedy is just right in the vein of those. It's one of one of the best of his run. I prefer, I think, I prefer Anchorman to this. Um, as far as a a sports movie, comedic sports movie, this is a perennial all star. I am not sure it gets in the Hall of Fame. I will say, upon rewatch, it does slow a little bit in the end. The first hour is incredible when Ricky is kind of on his comeback it does slow a little bit and that's just the general plot line of the movie but I found myself and I, I I don't know if it's it's me just overthinking how good the first hour is but I found myself thinking upon rewatch last night like man this this back half I'm not as dialed in I'm not laughing as much as I did the first hour but that also just might be a ridiculous overreaction to how funny the first hour is because from the second the movie starts, it is funny line after funny line. It's it's just great. And I mentioned those Will Ferrell movies. He did, he did that run of sports comedies, this semi-pro Blades of Glory and then Kicking and Screaming, which is something that it'll probably be the first Will Ferrell movie. I show my child that or Elf. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think he I don't, I don't think it's going to be a while for Talladega Nights or, or especially <laughs> uh, especially semi-pro, which is definitely deserving of its R rating. For you, how do you rank the the Will Ferrell sports comedies? This one, Semi Pro, Blades of Glory, and Kicking and Screaming. Okay, so you mentioned Talladega Nights being a part of the stream of of Anchorman. I think they called it the Mediocre Man trilogy. Um, so, so, I, and I think Step Brothers was the third, or maybe it was Blades of Glory. I don't know. I think it's kind of murky. Um, so as far as the Mediocre Man trilogy goes, I think, yeah, Anchorman definitely takes the cake. As far as Will Ferrell's sports movies go, I think it's this one. I think after Talladega Nights, it is Blades of Glory for me. I think just the the, the bizarre humor of that movie was just... It, you have Will Ferrell as, as an ice skater. Um, th- that's kind of the role he was cut out to play at that time in his career and and I think he really delivered in that one kicking and screaming had its moments um but I don't know if it is enough to unseat Blades of Glory as the runner up to Talladega Nights so I'll put that at number 3 and semi pro I don't want to give semi pro an unfair shake um in these rankings but I've only seen it like one time um I have not seen it as many times as the other ones I just didn't have the the repeatability factor, I guess, for me. So I'd say semi-pro is 
fourth in that list. So semi-pro, I hadn't seen in a long time before I covered it, which was a few months back. I think it was February, but maybe it was earlier. I don't don't really remember. But I hadn't given it another watch in a long time, maybe since I had seen it, because it's not on TV. There's a good reason it's not on TV. It is very R-rated. Like this, the thing about Talladega Nights is Talladega Nights did a TBS TNT run. You know, Talladega Nights was on TV a ton. Um, same with like, Anchorman was on TV a ton. Anchorman's PG-13. Um, Blades of Glory, I think, is PG-13. Uh, but I think Semi-Pro got kind of lumped in with Blades of Glory as just not being as good as Talladega Nights. And actually, upon rewatch, I laughed a lot. I didn't, in retrospect, I didn't laugh as much as I do watching Talladega Nights. But I would go Talladega Nights is one, kind of an easy one. Then Semi-Pro, then Blades of Glory, and then, yeah, Kicking and Screaming. It's just not it's a family it's more of a family comedy it's just not in the same league as um as, as the as these ones as the the talladega night semi-pro blades of glory um i want to roll into the imdb trivia i tried to pick some stuff that was that's kind of relevant to what we're going to be talking about and just stuff that, that's interesting this one has a lot in there um first and foremost producers pitched the movie idea to studios as six words Will Ferrell is a NASCAR driver, which I'm pretty sure is just how it got pitched to to audiences as well. Great. Like, hey, come yep. watch Will Ferrell be this ridiculous NASCAR driver, um, which worked. I mean, the movie was a was a hit. It was a success. Um, according to Steve Carell, Will Ferrell wanted him wanted him to reunite with him for this film, but he couldn't film do the film due to scheduling conflicts. I don't. What is there a role that you think Steve Carell could have done in this one? I'm not, I, I try to think about it. I'm not really sure who he, sli- I, I feel like he could have done something. I'm not really sure where he slides in. I think Carell, it would have made sense for him to be the, uh, the Dennett family, the, the, the owner of the race team, the Larry Dennett Jr. role. Um, oh. I think he, he probably could have played that bouncing off of Molly Shannon. I think he probably could have pulled that off. And that would have been interesting because he, if he went the same direction as that actor, you at that point you haven't really seen Steve Carell do anything kind of villainous. I would say mm-hmm. like Michael Scott was more of a doofus. Totally. So that that would have been an interesting uh, an interesting go at that. Ricky yelling for Tom Cruise is one of, is one of the religious figures when he when he thinks he's on fire is a dual reference to Cruise's movie Days of Thunder. Uh, the movie was also about a stock car driver who loses his ability to drive and paid tribute to Cruz's heavy involvement in the Church of Scientology. John C. Riley also appeared in Days of Thunder, though not as a race car driver, as a primary member of Cruz's pit crew, uh, which I had, wow. um, yeah, when we covered it a few months back with Ryan McGee and like watching John C. Riley jump out, I'm like, he might be the only two time NASCAR movie actor, I believe. Yeah, John C. Riley really uh, has taken on some interesting roles, right? It, it reminds me of Vince Vaughn's character in Rudy, uh, John C. Riley being in Days of Thunder, which I just learned with you, but also being in Gangs <laughs> of New York, like that. You don't you don't look at John C. Riley's resume and think, yeah, he would have been in a uh, Martin Scorsese film as like a, a henchman, you know? So yeah, I, John C. Riley just. Very versatile, versatile actor, I he, guess. He is shockingly versatile. And on that subject, this movie features three of the four leads of Wreck-It Ralph, 
John C. Riley, Jack McBrayer, and Jane Lynch. Uh, you will, if you haven't yet, Wes, Wreck-It Ralph is going to be big for you as a dad. You're going to watch a lot of Wreck-It Ralph at some point. You know, I see it on, I guess it's on Netflix on the landing page a lot. I think that's I think that's the, the streaming service that it's on right now, and I'm intrigued. I can't I can't deny it. I'm intrigued. I'm I'm excited to have an excuse to watch it right now. I I just don't. It's gonna be it's gonna be something that you watch a lot of. Um, and John C. Riley, versatile John C. Riley plays kind of like a lovable, not a doofus, but it, he's he's not the brightest bulb. <laughs> kind he, of like Cal Naughton Jr. Honestly, is he Ralph? He is Ralph. Yeah, okay. he is Ralph. Uh, Jack McBrayer plays Fix It Felix and mm-hmm. Jane Lynch. Who is uh, who is Lucy Bobby in this movie? I don't know what her character's name is, but she's one of the leads. Um, a few casting casting bits in the trivia that are interesting uh, for the role of Jean Girard. Considered were Michael J. Fox, Seth Green, and John Stamos. John Stamos is the only one I can see in that role of those three. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know, like what did what did Seth Green even done? Uh, within like five Austin years Powers? of that, yeah, Austin Powers and that Entourage cameo. I don't see that at all. Um, Michael J. Fox, I don't see it. I also don't know if he could have physically done it. I don't think Michael J. Fox has done much since Spin City and his Parkinson's diagnosis. But I also don't know if I could see him being a foil to to Ricky Bobby. I think in that situation, there it would have been such a. Um... I think it would have been powerful if Michael J. Fox were able to do it, but um, you know, you kind of run the risk in that scenario of of him maybe even like stealing some of the the shine off of Will Ferrell leading a, as a leading role in, in Talladega Nights. I, I'm with you. I think uh, Sasha Baron Cohen had Borat had come out um, within a couple years of that, and. He was really kind of coming on the scene at that time. It made perfect sense for him to play that role, and I've never thought twice about about him being the foil. He he nailed it. Oh yeah, I think he was perfect. Um, for Cal Naughton Jr., considered Jack Black, Dennis Quaid, and Billy Crystal. Hmm. I I could see. I, I've pictured all three of them. Dennis Quaid would be interesting because that would be him taking doing a turn that you really had you don't see much out of Dennis Quaid um Billy Crystal I would have just liked to have seen him do it I have full confidence that he could have I I don't know what it would have looked like but I I feel like he can't Jack Black might have I don't know if this movie fits Jack Black's strengths what he's good at yeah he's weird in a different kind of way right yeah it's just not um he's more I, I don't I don't want to say this in a negative way because I like I really enjoy Jack Black like School of Rock came out around this time or it's a movie that I, I think is excellent I really love it uh, but he's more of like an obnoxious funny mm-hmm. it's it's not the same he's he doesn't he doesn't dive into the character kind of funny like John C Riley does with with Cal Naughton Jr. Um, the last casting bit of trivia and the last bit of trivia I've got is for Carly Bobby who's Ricky's wife. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres, Alicia Silverstone, <laughs> Melissa Joan Hart, and Paula, Paula Gugino were all considered for the role of Carly Bobby. Ellen DeGeneres, I, I don't know. I really don't. I'm not sure about that one either. I think, again, with a lot of these names you're mentioning, like the star power is so 
strong with a lot of those names. Like Will Ferrell was obviously the lead. There were a lot of other bright moments from the supporting cast in this movie. Like Cal Naughton Jr. is almost like the one B to Will Ferrell's one A. Um, and Sasha Baron Cohen does a great job of being the foil without getting in the way. Like if you have Ellen DeGeneres on that same, <laughs> that same, uh, platform as Will Ferrell, like who's really the lead in that situation? Like, again, like maybe I'm just looking at this with, with 2010 vision, 2020 vision. Like she's such a, a star now and known for her own show and her own endeavors. But I, I can't help but think that like, Will Ferrell's moments might have been lost a little bit. Yeah, they they so well surrounded him with comedic talent, but not overwhelming comedic talent. It just let him. It, he was clearly the star. They they basically said like they let him inhabit his character and be ridiculous, but he didn't have that pressure to chew up every bit of scenery like you see in some of the lesser movies of his that come around down the road where it's like he's got to carry it. They surrounded him with so many good supporting players, but nothing that was going to overwhelm his performance in a, in a good way. I think it was um, he he just got to play off a lot of great comedic talent. I think that's it's why this one works the best of all his sports movies. The cast and the other ones are good, but I think this is the best one um, between you know John C. Riley and Leslie Bibb. I think this is this is the best thing I've ever seen her in as Carly as uh, Carly Bobby. Um, Jane Lynch, obviously, uh, Gary Cole, just incredible in this movie, but it's, it's a, it's a stat cast. Um, let's get into best scenes. This was difficult for me, uh, to, to like cut scenes off and not make this an hour long category because most, at least for the first hour, most of the scenes in this movie are fantastic. And I'm going to go chronologically. If I miss one of your favorites, by all means, jump in, stop me. Um, the first one I've got is career day. And that's just because Gary Cole gets about 45 seconds of screen time and he, he's just going for it right away. Not playing games. He's just incredible as Reese Bobby. Uh, excuse me, darling. I'm Reese Bobby. I'm here for career day with my son, Ricky. Dad. Hey, hey there, boy. Man, you got big. How long has it been? Three, four months? 10 years. 10 years. Man, I got to lay off the peyote. <laughs> Mr. Bobby, there's no smoking in here. Oh, it's all right, darling. I'm a volunteer fireman. Okay. I am a semi-professional race car driver and an amateur tattoo artist. And the first thing you got to learn if you're going to be a race car driver is you don't listen to losers like your know-it-all teacher over here. Okay, I think that's enough. The teacher wants you to go slow, and she's wrong, because it's the fastest who gets paid, and it's the fastest who gets late. <laughs> Yeah, again, you mentioned the supporting cast, and it's like everybody had a moment to have their one-liner. And if you have some of the other cast members that were considered, like, I think some of those one-liners are lost. It's just like the strength of them. And that that scene was great. He set the tone early on of the the prick that he was going to be as Ricky's dad, you know, being carried out of the school career day. Um, the dad before him being so nervous and, and saying, you know, and I'm going to need to know where your facilities are. Like that kind of humor and those moments, like you just understood right away. This movie is going to move really quickly. There are going to be a lot of one liners. Don't miss them. Um, and, and that, that one was fall. You know, it followed the opening scene where Ricky was born in the backseat of the car, that number 13 car, because 
Gary Cole slammed on the brakes, you know, right away, like the ridiculousness level is set. Um, for me, you know, the scene where, where Ricky first learns how to drive or first, first gets put in the situation to drive as a NASCAR driver, like so unlikely, uh, typical sports movie scenario though, right? Like the bench guy coming out and having a chance to not only drive the car, but win. Um, and then me as, as a member of the media, I've been through so many awkward interviews that, that I've forgotten <laughs> more of them that I can remember, I'm sure. But, but Ricky not knowing what to do with his hands, um, that was like one of the most iconic parts of the movie. And it happens in like the first 10 minutes. So I, I think early on chronologically, um, I can't look past that one. That, that one was, was great right away just because of my media background that one, looking back on it now, still cracks me up. And the racing action is really good. It, it sets a tone early that the the racing action isn't something you have to worry about. This movie, it's very much Days of Thunder and just NASCAR broadcast influence. It's something that's it's nice with a parody sports movie that you don't have to worry about the action coming off as bad. And this is with NASCAR. NASCAR is such an experience, and it. Uh, the, the movie sets a good tone with that. We're going to be ridiculous. We're not going to be tethered to reality uh, in, in certain senses. Like a dad is going to show up to career day and say, what's it been three, four months. And then it turns out <laughs> it's been 10 years. And he says, I got to lay off the peyote. Like we're not going to be tethered to reality in that sense, but there is that base ground reality of this is actually NASCAR. The action is going to be good. It's not going to be ridiculous. And I agree that that scene of Ricky driving for the first time is is fun. Um, that rolls like it's hard to, like I said, it's kind of hard to chop these scenes up because that kind of rolls right into the success montage, which gets you into reading off the ads. I don't know if that's the best scene, but it's, it's great. You get the, the iconic big red, uh, the next scene I have Prune candy. for <laughs> the, the, the next scene I have for best scene might be, it might be the the top one. It might be. I I think it's probably my pick. I'm still gonna go through everything, but it is the dear Lord baby Jesus dinner scene. Dear Lord baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful. Beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call. Them. And of course, my red hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone cold fox, mm. who if you were to rate her ass on 100, it would easily be a 94. Mm. Also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. The Domino's, the Taco Bell, Chip, Walker and Texas Rangers days at school. It is just, I mean, I feel like this scene, and correct me if I'm I feel like this scene gets quoted the most. This movie gets quoted a lot. I feel like this one gets quoted the most. That scene right there is is the flag planted in the top of the hill of what, that movie is all about and they do such a wonderful job of not only making fun of nascar culture with all the sponsorships integrated into the prayer the disrespect for chip um 
from the grandkids, uh, just openly disrespecting Chip is, is so hilarious. Like, I, I pull up that scene sometimes just randomly if I need a good laugh because it will it, it will bust your gut as Chip is just sitting there in bewilderment. Um, rest in peace to that actor. I need to look up his name on the IMDb page here. I know he, he passed away. Uh, Ted Manson within the last few years, but he does such a great job. Just the look on his face, man, is just like, am I the only normal person at this table? No one seems to recognize the fact that I'm a war hero. My medals are now in the river, but that's the least of my worries because my grandkids are threatening to beat me up. It's just incredible. It's incredible all the way around. Um, So that scene, yeah, I have to agree with you. Um, but I know I, I Chip is legitimately the the most normal character in the movie. Like he's one of the few, like he's like the perspective of the, of the audience. He's one of the few people who is seeing things sanely. And it, that scene is just the perfect, like you said, just the perfect lampoon of NASCAR and kind of Southern culture. It also like Cal Naughton's Jesus with the tuxedo T-shirt singing lead for Leonard Skinner. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt. Because it says, like, I want to be formal, right. but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus, like, with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with, like, an angel band. And I'm in the front row, and I'm hammered drunk. Incredible. Yeah, and, and obviously those two guys are known for their um style of ad-libbing you know and you can go back and watch all the lines that they didn't use that are equally as funny but they couldn't keep a straight face um that i'm pretty sure rolled during the credits uh but yeah that one you know not only making fun of like you said nascar culture but you know the the idea of saying grace at the table and we've all been at the table if you've grown up in the south someone saying the blessing and taking five minutes to bless the food and it's just great it nails it 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 gets the whole the whole vibe of that in a much more extreme way obviously but it gets the whole vibe there of what um of what those experiences are like and we when we talked before uh before we recorded i said that when i did my rewatch there was stuff i've seen this movie 50 times and there was stuff that that I didn't, that I noticed for the first time. And one of the things that I noticed for the first, it might not have been the first time, but I didn't remember it when it came up was when he's doing the blessing. And he's a, when he mentions like his contracts, his contract stipulates that he mentions power rate at each grace that like had that cracked me up. And just the, the spoof of, of the corporate sponsor culture of NASCAR, that, that part um, I loved the next scene I've got is Jean Girard's introduction at the bar. Yeah. And that also serves as kind of a an introduction to our next 15 years with Sasha Baron Cohen, because I think unless you were watching Ali G show, which I wasn't at that time, that was your first glimpse at Sasha Baron Cohen, because this movie comes out in August, Borat comes out in November, mm-hmm. and I can firmly say that Borat was the hardest I've ever laughed in a theater upon first viewing. Um, I don't know if Borat is as funny the second or like the second or third time you watch it, but the first time I saw it, I mean, I was 15, 16. I'd never laugh so hard, but this is when you see Jean Girard at the jukebox, that is, that was, I, I would imagine for a lot of the Talladega Nights audience, the first time you've ever seen 
Sasha Baron Cohen. And it, it shows you what he's all about. And, and that scene is also very funny. Yeah, I think it introduces us to Sasha Baron Cohen, but you also get to meet the a lot of the pit crew members um, and just kind of get their one-liners. And I think Jack McBrayer is talking to one of the other one of the other pit crew members and he's like, yeah, I don't know what to get my grandmother. She's 88. And the other guy just so deadpan is like, get her coffin. And it's just, like, <laughs> is that like his only line of the movie? Too? It's so good. It's like, what else do you need to say? Like you can't top that joke. And it's, uh, it's also the crepe scene, the very yeah. thin pancakes. Oh, I love those. It's just, it's also the, uh, that's the spoof of proud Southern culture. I think, uh, Cal, Cal drops the these colors don't run line, but it's basically that is a very good spoof of proud Southern culture because as two guys who grew up in the South, we've seen those guys who it, it sometimes in the South it's tough to swallow pride. Oh, no doubt about it. That's that's what the South is all about. That's what that's why the South has a lot of the problems that it still does today. And timely as we record this episode, NASCAR condemning um, the flying of the Confederate flag now in in 2020, like. Better late than never, I guess, but you know, the I guess for for a good reason, um, a good outcome of a lot of the pains that we're experiencing now in America, NASCAR stepping up and owning things like this. And um, I think that scene is a reflection of a lot of those attitudes that uh, have existed and do exist in NASCAR, and, and NASCAR is stepping up and doing its part um, to make sure that doesn't exist. And I think it's it's a good thing to see. Yeah, and in one of the one of the parts about this scene that, that's that's kind of kind of reflects on that as well is Jean Girard introduces the the group to his husband, and that is not received well by Ricky or his crew, which is you know something that in two thousand six much different world than we're living in now. But even now, a openly gay NASCAR driver would certainly make headlines. Yeah. I so think, it's I think something it's, that Ricky Bobby got to very quickly. Oh yeah. And, and, and that's why Talladega Nights is timeless in the sphere of NASCAR because a lot of those attitudes are so um, ingrained in, in the fan base and it's real, you know, it's realistic. However you feel about it, you can't deny the fact that um, that's, that's a lot of what NASCAR's culture has been for a very long time. And, and that's why it still plays. That's why it's still funny because it is poking fun um, at that reality of of what Na- of what NASCAR uh, has kind of been trying. I guess now trying to get away from is is attitudes like that. The best spoofs have a a base of truth at the bottom of them, and that's that's why this movie works mm-hmm. well. Um, the next scene I have as is a nominee for best scene. This isn't this isn't the best scene. I just I didn't know another. I had to mention this, and I didn't know another section of the podcast when I could. Uh, it is just <laughs> Cal making his Mike Concho confession. There's something I want to get off my chest, and it's about that summer when you went away to community college. I got an offer to do Playgirl magazine, and I did it. I did a full spread for Playgirl magazine. I, I mean spread, man. I pulled my butt apart and stuff, and I was totally nude, and it was weird. I I mean, you probably didn't hear about it because I went under the name of Mike Honcho, but I just wanted you to know that. If you could hear me, if it got into your brain somehow, that I spread my butt cheeks as Mike Honcho. 
is just, it, I mean, it splits my stomach every time. That's so Cal, that's so uh, John C. Riley too. That is his sense of humor. That's his brand. And they just kind of let him, they let him fly in that scene. The the amount of B roll you get a little bit in the in the end credits, but the amount of B roll they must have had of this movie is just. I mean, I can't. I've read an oral history of the making of Step Brothers and what that set was like and how incredible it was to watch those guys riff. And I bet the same thing was true of uh, of Talladega Nights. Um, the next scene I've got is Ricky finding out that Cal and Carly are getting married. Which, like, while ridiculous, also has I, I have to tip tip my hat to Ryan McGee, who joined me for Days of Thunder. We mentioned earlier. Uh, let me know that when he, I think he saw the premiere of the movie with a bunch of NASCAR people, and the line that everyone laughed at was Carly Bobby's line of "I'm a driver's wife, I don't work." <laughs> and and so I, I had to tip my that wouldn't have you. You have to have that NASCAR knowledge for me which i don't i don't have but to of why that is so funny you also get the uh the kids saying the yay two christmases just like in in unison and then uh (laughs) i think my favorite part of that scene is chip finally getting his revenge like that laugh on ricky is just fantastic the timing is what makes the the comedy in this film and like any comedy uh you have to have that impeccable timing but but that scene nails it because Ricky is just aghast. I was gone three hours. And and uh, Carly's saying, I think we both knew that this marriage was was doomed. And, and Ricky going, no, I very much did not know that. It's just like <laughs> Ricky, for once, is, is grounded in reality. And the absurd moment uh, does not involve him uh, driving it. And that's, I don't know, it's a good shakeup. Um, and, and obviously a turning point in the film because it starts to kind of motivate Ricky's Ricky's comeback. And Cal is just inviting him to the wedding. He has no idea. Like he, he just he just doesn't get it at all, which is which is great. Uh, the next scene I've got is um, and, and this one is this is probably the biggest jump in time in this movie is the uh, when um, name is escape when Reese puts the the bag of lucky charms which he says is Colombian bam bam under Ricky's car and Ricky has to drive to avoid jail and it's kind of it is a very cool like 30 second moment of when Reese is throwing the water on Ricky and you get for the the casual viewer like I didn't I didn't know especially at that time didn't know the roots of NASCAR being about bootleggers uh, you get kind of the roots of the sport in one funny ridiculous concept basically how Ricky got his groove back yeah and I think and you mentioned earlier the comedy of the first act of the film setting the bar so high that when it does have like legitimate sports movie trope moments, it almost seems slow. But to me, that's what makes it a well-rounded sports movie. And obviously it's a comedy first and foremost, but of, of any sports movie you've seen, um, unironically, I believe that Ricky Bobby's comeback story and execution is just flawless. It's it's wonderfully done um, from an unconventional training standpoint from his dad of calling the cops, uh, putting the cougar in his car, and then you see that whole montage of, of Ricky getting his stripes back to the point where he crashes the car early on, he's driving blindfolded, and then by the end of it when he's ready to race again, 
the Cougars riding shotgun. Like that is just such a, a powerful image. And even though it is a comedy, I, I think it it's in a way, in its own way, um, I think it's pretty well done. I think it's kind of moving, honestly, when you consider the fact that it is quote unquote just a sports movie. It does give the movie some heart yeah, that absolutely. up to that point it had kind of lacked. Yep. Um, and it, it gives you some, it gives you a reason to root for Ricky Bobby because aside from him just being the main character and being funny, you had no oh, huge a jackass. number of reasons to root for him. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Wait, and we've got a question about that coming up. Um, the next, we gotta gotta move through. There's just so many scenes in this movie. It's like everything has an iconic scene. Like the the, I've got a couple. Like when Ricky goes to see Jean Girard, and he's hanging out with Most Deaf and Elvis Costello, and you find out that he doesn't like need to win. He just needs a challenge. Um, and then the the final race at Talladega, which is kind of the sports movie cop out when you're you're doing a movie like oh the final game the final you know scene whatever is usually the big one, um, you know the the best part about that scene for me honestly is Cal bouncing his confusion off that that deadpan crew chief, especially when he's like when the guy's like Ricky's you need to look Ricky's passing you like you mean he's passing me my subconscious no he's passing you right now. <laughs> Yeah, Cal definitely shows in that moment like, yeah, dude, you're the sidekick. The only reason why you end up winning is is by a technicality. Um, and that's what makes the racing aspect of the film so ridiculous is like the broadcasting side of it is well done. It's very subtle. Um, the crews that they have uh, from Fox Sports and I think NBC Sports as well, they do a great job of peppering in their calls throughout the races to make it seem legitimate, almost like, like, uh, you know, Cole and dodgeball, um, with Jason Bateman, like that dynamic helps the movie fill in some gaps, I think. Um, but seeing Cal Naughton, like try to race and try to be his own guy and, and just not thrive as his own solo racer adds to the ridiculousness of his role to begin with, because yes, of course, in real NASCAR, drivers that are operating under the same ownership uh congratulate each other but they're not going to do a shake and bake maneuver and uh i think seeing him on his own and and just really (laughs) floundering without ricky's help it it sums up his character pretty well it's like the exact opposite of days of thunder where dick uh cole trickle and uh rusty wheeler just want nothing to do with each other in our arch which is probably a little bit more realistic yeah, than then what Cal and Ricky do for each other. After all that, after all those scenes, Wes, what's your pick? What do you think the best scene in this movie is? The best scene for me, the most quotable scene, comes from Michael Clark Duncan. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. It, it, it just... You sick sons of bitches. I mean, you walk in that door on your two legs all fat and cocky and looking at me in my chair... And you tell me it's all in my head? I hope that both of you have sons, handsome, beautiful, articulate sons who are talented and star athletes and and they have their legs taken away. I mean, I pray you know that pain and that hurt. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Don't you put that on us. You are not paralyzed. I am so paralyzed. No, no, no. Rough on him now. No, he needs to know. Okay. He's always crying. Tough love it is. Tough love. Wake up, idiot. You want to know what I am? You want to see what my life is? Don't Uh, don't do it. You want to see what's going on here? 
Don't you stick that knife in your leg. You know, it, it is so absurd. And you have Will Ferrell stabbing himself in the leg and um, really turning him from a helpless person with a a large mental block into someone that's motivated to turn around. It's a huge moment in the film, um, plot-wise, but also a ridiculous moment. Humor-wise, I think the back and forth between Farrell and Michael Clark Duncan and John C. Riley in that room, and then you have the doctor saying, yeah, he can walk, he's perfectly fine. All of that just just is is really well done. It's expertly done. And for me, I think that's that's my most, um, if not my most memorable scene, that's my favorite scene because of Michael Clark Duncan, I think. He's just very firm and very forceful, gets outrageously offended by Will Ferrell's wishing evil upon his uh, son that grows up to be incredibly successful and loses his ability to walk just like Ricky Bobby did. It's It's great. And you can kind of tie in the the Mike Concho confession into that scene. Yeah. Basically, the the entire the entirety of Ricky in the hospital, the uh, the wheelchair basketball game uh, where Ricky is kicking people. Yes, uh, great stuff. I think my I think the best scene in the movie for me is the the dinner scene, the dear Lord baby Jesus scene. Um, just just an iconic scene for this movie. If that if the movie is on TBS or something, that's the one I'm waiting for. That's the one I'm hoping is coming on soon. Um, let's take a very quick ad break, and then we're going to get back with best quote. Big Screen Sports is presented by BetOnline.ag. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. You know what you didn't hear in this ad? MLB, because MLB has lost its mind. I don't know when we're going to be able to bet on it, but you can pretty much bet on everything else right now, so that's great. Uh, looking for something other than sports? Bet online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag, use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, and we're back with best quote. I tried to, while I was very long with the scenes and not wanting to leave anything out, I tried to, I tried to really narrow down the best quote in this movie because, like we've said, there's a ton of just funny one-liners. But I, I tried to pick the most essential ones, and you just mentioned one talking about your favorite scene: the "Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby." I think that's a line. I'm, I'm trying to think of the lines that still in 2020 get get quoted i came up with five uh the the don't you put that evil on me ricky bobby i'm too drunk to taste this chicken Mm -hmm. i wake up in the morning and i piss excellence i'm ricky bobby and if you don't chew big red then fuck you and if you ain't first you're last and then there's as a an entirety quote everything about cal naughton jr's jesus but i i think those are the five i have were there any really iconic quotable ones that i missed of yours my favorite's that you didn't mention um, both come from Gary Cole and they're ones that I say now um, and can, (laughs) and can identify with a little bit. I can't identify with the first one, but the second one I do like to ironically say, but the first one is uh, when he is getting kicked out of Applebee's and saying, I found a whole rat in my Cobb salad. It's just like, (laughs) it's like, 
I I don't think that uh, Yelp was really a big thing at that time, but it was like the real life embodiment of how people can get if they hate an establishment and they just spew off something ridiculous in the review of where they went and and that's what Gary Cole's doing uh, to Applebee's at that at that time is just telling people not to support that restaurant because he found a whole rat in his cob salad because he's just so bitter down to his core that he can't uh, endure any good moments. Um, but the other one comes not long after that, just like a few seconds or a couple of minutes after that when uh, Ricky Bobby's trying to have the heart to heart with his dad and ask him like, why can't you be good? And And his dad just says, Oh, Ricky, I'm, I'm no good. And I think it's just so simple, but like it tells his story. It sums him up perfectly. And I think it just kind of cuts through everything. It's just like, Ricky, I'm no good. And it's just like, I'm hopeless. I'm never going to be more than what you want, but damn it. If you want to be a good race car driver, I got you there. And I I think, um, I think those are my, my two favorites of the ones you didn't mention. It gives some humanity to Reese Bobby for a character yeah. that has almost very little humanity or is very, you're not very recognizable to anyone, even people who live in the South. Reese Bobby is just king scumbag. Yep. Um, I think if you're picking the best quote, I feel like if you ain't first, your last has lasted the longest in this movie is as far as people still quoting it. It's just like a throwaway thing. I think that don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby, is funnier and is a better line. And in specifically because it was delivered by Michael Clark Duncan. And the circumstances of it make it ridiculous. Like, regardless of what Will Ferrell says in that scene, which is equally ridiculous, Michael Clark Duncan's reaction, like, is just jarring. And that's what makes it so funny, is like he he gets absurdly mad by the notion that Ricky Bobby would put that evil on him. And that's why it's so funny. I think that's why it sticks with people um, is more so because of just the circumstances of it. And maybe not even so much of what he actually says um, in and of itself is, is what makes it so funny. It's so good. So good. Um, going into the most and least authentic sports centric parts of the movie, obviously with a spoof, it is not as essential to get the the sports right or completely right but like we said earlier like for my most i think the racing action itself looked great like they put in the work they needed to put into to give it that good base of hey here's some cool nascar action here's some good loud sounds love to see it i I don't think they could have done any better a job with that well they have to because it makes the ridiculous moments stand out more um and for me i had a hard time deciding between either Ricky winning a race in reverse or when he tries to come back from the broken arm and he sold the real estate on his windshield to Fig Newton. Um, I think that for me is easily the most absurd sports, like separate from what sports reality would be. I think that's what I had for the least authentic. That's the least authentic. Like he's driving blind. <laughs> this was, I need to shout out uh, the Big Screen Sports Facebook group, uh, Patrick Ballantyne. He pointed this out. He he asked basically asked a question in the group, like, there's no way they let him race with that Fig Newton sticker on the window, right? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't get to start the race. And the broadcast crew, like I mentioned earlier, the subtlety of their injection here and their lines in the movie, like, they are 
they are taken aback by it, but not because it's ridiculous. They're, they're, they almost like don't acknowledge in the moment how crazy it actually is. If you go back and watch it, they're like, and Ricky Bobby's sold his windshield. It's like, yeah, I guess that could have happened. It's what makes it so funny. It's kind of the same thing Gary Cole does in Dodgeball is he adds this air of, of normal confidence to ridiculous things that are going on in front of him. It's it's a very good comedic use of broadcaster. Um, I, I think that's a good transition into, j- let's just talk about what worked in this one, what what made this movie good, what, you know, what went well. I think first and foremost, it is the Farrell and John C. Riley tandem. It's a powerhouse. It wins almost every time. If Billy Crystal is Cal Naughton Jr., I don't know if, Step Brothers is as good as it is. I, I think same. I, I agree. I think the the chemistry was established there. If if Will Ferrell and John C. Riley didn't already have it to some extent, um, and and wouldn't have already developed it on Step Brothers on their own, uh, I think actors do that. You know, they they build chemistry in other projects, and I'm I'm thankful that they did it because we got two great examples of it um, from Talladega Nights and Step Brothers. Yeah, Step Brothers is just you, you directly linked to this one. Um, they also did Holmes and Watson. I will fully admit I have not seen Holmes and Watson. Um, but at, at this time in 2006 with this one, 2008 with Step Brothers, this was the best tandem in comedy. I think I think it's pretty easy to see. And then never forget in Anchorman 2 when, when uh, John C. Riley cameos is the ghost of Stonewall Jackson, which is just... Just fantastic. Um, as far as something else that worked in this one, you know, what did, what did you have? What sticks out to you as something that just made this movie click? I'm glad I rewatched it again today because I would have forgotten about the Fig Newton sponsorship on the windshield <laughs> because of everything else being so ridiculous. Um, but I think Amy Adams' role there's there's just one line today that that struck me that made me laugh out loud. It's like every time you watch this movie again you have one of those scenes and it is when um, Carly Bobby sees what's Amy Adams role. Her name's Susan. (laughs) When Carly Bobby sees Susan and she just says, you are the weirdest little girl and storms off. It's just like those weird moments. They they just crack you up. And and I think that was like one, one of those subtle little moments we've hit on all the big ones. We've hit on all like the obvious chemistry moments and and the obvious one-liners and scenes, but but that was just another one that's just like any given moment in this movie, you could be laughing out loud. And and that one today for me, I, I don't know if my answer would be the same a week from now, but today that one was just like, that was really funny. They hate each other or she or, or Carly Bobby hates Susan, um, but it's it couldn't be more obvious than that little exchange right there. Nothing is off limits with this movie. There's just so much of a freedom at any scene to slip in whatever line or weird gag they want. And pretty much nothing seems out of place. And that's because of it's just this perfect satire of Southern NASCAR culture, but there's a little bit of an appreciation to it. But they also, they do a good job of basing it in reality, like we <laughs> said, with the the accurate NASCAR races and stuff. But And then giving it a little bit of heart. This movie yeah. works in giving... Part of uh, Ricky leaving tickets for his dad is a legitimate emotional yeah. piece of this movie. It gives you empathy for the character. It is actually, it is something to ground is one of, um, 
I think when when Farrell's characters go wrong or when when spoof characters go wrong, comedic characters, when they do not have any enough that's redeemable about them. And Ricky has enough, even though he is just a jackass for half the movie that you you feel that form. And then it is actually a legitimate journey of Ricky to learn that if you ain't first, your last is no way to live. Yeah, and there's actually heart to that. I so was high when I said that. This movie isn't just <laughs> exactly, exactly, but it's more about I, the the whole thing about the end card just being me and this anti corporate sponsor thing. It had to be fun for any NASCAR fan who thinks the sports become too corporate, but it was mm-hmm. definitely a conscious decision by McKay and Farrell to you know what they perceived as how owned these guys were, mm-hmm. and you know a a kind of a life decision for Ricky Bobby to actually enjoy and and appreciate what's going on with him and not just be this soul consumed his his whole life determined by if he wins or not it was actually it's actually a good message like a good thing about you can tell a spoof is good is if you made it a serious movie and you took some of the key themes of the movie would it work and that would actually work if you had this driver who was solely consumed by winning having to learn that so i think that's a good mark for this movie yeah i think to answer your question um with a second option a second scene as you say that that reminded me when ricky sees the me car for the first time and the pit crew tells him that uh, that Jack McBrayer's character is, has died as if Ricky needed any extra motivation. I think that was another scene that I'd forgotten that is just so ridiculous but so funny in that moment. Like, if if the plot had slowed down at all, there are moments like that that are keeping the laugh-out-loud factor uh, alive and well, and that was definitely one of them. Um, but yeah, af- after Ricky wins, he's in the parking lot with his family, and, and he says, you know... Uh, his dad asks him, you know, who did you go out there and race for today? And he didn't win because he had to get out of his car and, and run towards the finish line um, and race on foot with Jean Girard. But uh, Ricky says, I, I did it uh, for my family, you know, and, and that really sums up the total turnaround and the redeemability factor of his character right before he says, let's go get kicked out of an Applebee's. So, um, it's, it's really well done. A lot of heart, like you said, um, that I think as I've gotten more mature and, you know, watching it as a teenager, you see it a little bit differently than you do as someone that has started a family of your own. And, uh, I think you do pick up on that heart and you pick up on, um, really the all around message of the movie, not to take it too seriously at all, because I don't think you should, but, um, but yeah, there are some, some really great moments in there that, that tie it all together. And speaking of Jean Girard, I think what works about this movie is he's an excellent foil. He is one of the few people in the movie who acknowledges how dumb Ricky and Cal are. It's like him and Chip are the only people in the movie who have any grasp on reality. Um, He also provides an outlet for Ricky to kind of expand his horizons a bit. He's the exact opposite of Ricky and basically the the Southern stereotype in this movie. He's, He's the exact opposite of pretty much every character in this movie. Um, I, I have a theory that Michael Jordan needed a Ricky Bobby, like Jean Girard needed Ricky Bobby, someone to show him defeat, someone to wound him 
at the top because that's why Michael Jordan is just like the most bitter, take everything personally kind of guy. If he would have just gotten beat, if he would have been able to come back in 99 and gotten beat by the Tim Duncan Spurs, maybe maybe he'd be able to enjoy life a little bit more and not just be be out for blood at all times. Totally. Um, and coming off the last dance, I, I've watched it again with my wife because she caught a little bit of some of the episodes and, and we've rewatched them all and I uh, have no problem with that whatsoever. But that was an interesting thing to take away from Michael Jordan's journey of just needing someone else to push him, needing a villain, even if he had to make it up himself. And uh, I think that drives a lot of successful athletes. And uh, you definitely see that in Ricky Bobby and John Girard. Absolutely. And I am taking each each episode. I'm taking a question from the Big Screen Sports Facebook group uh, this week. It, it's from Corey Cohen, and I want to I want to ask this to you: Is Jean Girard actually the good guy in this movie? Is Jean Girard actually the good guy? Well, I got to think about that. I got to process this one out loud. So bear with me. He comes into America. I guess if you wanted to do an alternate telling of a driver that comes in from a totally different style of racing and just beats everybody, I guess you could see see it from that standpoint. But he also did come in as like somewhat of like a a guy that was coming to stir the pot, right? Like he he broke Ricky Bobby's arm, you know. I think that's the biggest strike against yeah, it. In that, I, that's why I would, he's that's not, why I would say he's not no. like outwardly cruel. Yeah, but he did break Ricky's arm. That's why I would say no. I'd have to say no about that. I, I don't think I can't think of any like legitimate good guys that would do that. So I, I'd have to say no. I don't know if there is a good guy in the film. I think we could. I think that's a much. That. I think that's a better take that there's not a good guy. I, I would say Jean Girard is a foil. He's not a villain. But he's certainly not the good guy. Yeah. No, I don't think he's a villain. I don't think he's a villain. Let's roll into what didn't work about this movie. Okay. Um, which is not, there's not a lot. I don't I don't think. There's not a lot that didn't work. Uh, this isn't something that per se didn't work. But I just needed an extended scene learning from career day, learning more about what it's like to manage a Waffle House. Because they basically, the, the career day starts with the the nervous dad the one who needs to needs to know where the commode is talking about. And that's what it's like to manage a Waffle House. Wes, you're from the South. I'm from the South. South Waffle House is an institution. And it's also a place where you can see some shit you've never seen before. Yeah. I would love to know what it's like to, to manage a Waffle House. I needed an extended scene there. I'm wearing a Waffle House hat right now. And uh, it's on my mind. Perfect. Literally and figuratively a lot. And um, I'm with you, man. I think they could have delved into that a little bit more. I think, truthfully, Waffle House is such an institution that they don't have to advertise. Um, it's like Nick Chubb, the the former Georgia running back, was asked by his teammates, he's a really quiet dude, you know, but a, a punishing guy on the football field. And one of his teammates asked him, like, Nick, why don't you do more press? Why don't you speak out more in your press availabilities? And Nick Chubb said... I'm like a Lamborghini. I don't have to advertise. And I think Waffle House has a lot of that same energy around it. And on the flip side of that, Waffle House is very protective of its brand. So I wonder if Waffle House is like, okay, you can give us a shout out, um, but we don't want 
we don't want too much of our establishment to be revealed. Maybe there's maybe there are secrets to the Waffle House that they didn't want revealed in the film. I encourage anyone who hasn't to go watch the five minute clip from Anthony Bourdain when he visited a Waffle House. It's as perfect a it's it just it's Waffle House encapsulated in five minutes, and it's it's wonderful. I love Waffle House. I miss Waffle House. There's not one as close to me as you might think. It's very disappointing. You should open one. Um, some, I I would love to. Don't I mean? Don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> I love a good Waffle House. Um, shouts to the Waffle House in Roanoke, Virginia. You mean a lot to me. Um, other thing that didn't work. Ricky must have had the worst divorce lawyer on the planet, without a doubt. Yeah, I thought about that today too. In you know, they kind of suspend all reality when you think about the the timeline of the divorce happening in a matter of three hours. But yeah, Ricky is really left with nothing after that divorce. And uh, that is an unfortunate turn of events for him. But you could argue that it molds him and pushes him and, and takes all resources away from him and kind of resets him, right? It's like when, uh, when, when Spider-Man loses his suit in uh in spider-man homecoming right like he, he's got to start from square one that's a fair point comparing ricky bobby to spider-man um something else in the divorce scene that my lovely fiance pointed out um it is, is the one thing that they're they're trying to do this spoof of southern culture they 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 missed a pitch here uh ricky bobby says your guys's wedding he would have said y'all's wedding he would have they missed it they missed it there yeah, that's a good catch, man. I didn't, I didn't notice that. Um, I missed it myself. My my fiance nailed it. So wow. shouts to shouts to my lovely fiance. I would have missed that if not for her. Um, did you have anything else that didn't work about this one? There's not a lot. This one is this is a very good movie. You know, I think by and large, no. I think if there's like, I guess the most forgettable scene is the way the alternate way you could look at this because every scene packs a punch, right? And, and I think the least memorable scene is is probably when uh, Ricky and Amy Adams make out in the bar, you know, and, and that scene just like, I don't know, it wasn't that funny to me. I guess that would be my way of answering what doesn't work, but I didn't have a huge problem with it either. They... That romantic subplot is very forced. Yeah. It's not, there's not much that leads up. You could have just brought her in as an advisor to him, mm-hmm. as someone who believes in him, but not, I, I agree. The whole, the white snake makeout yeah. is not that, is not that funny. Now um, the journey song that is playing during that scene, I think redeems it. That's fair. That's fair. This is a good music movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's got the, a lot of it's good got a great soundtrack. This one. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the Freddie, the the Kevin Costner and Freddie Prince Jr. awards for best and worst on screen athlete in a in a NASCAR movie. I think it is tough to peg. Um, a it's not as though you can see someone throwing a baseball or swinging a baseball bat or throwing a football. Um, they, I, I don't think I don't think it's it's tough to gauge Will Ferrell or Sasha Baron mm-hmm. Cohen's ability to drive from this movie. I think this is a yeah. category that we can probably just just axe unless you have something for it. I think, yeah, I think as far as the driving goes, I think as far as the driving goes, yeah, we, we probably can't do that. As far as the pit crew is concerned, though, I think Michael Clark Duncan 
as the director of the entire crew, I think he does a fantastic job. I think he has a good presence. Um, the action scenes, his reactions to the crashes are good. And then, of course, on the flip side of that, um, worst on-screen athlete slash pit crew member would probably be Jack McBrayer's character, uh, Glenn, <laughs> because he can't even fake his own death without waving at Ricky Bobby. And he has that quote in the beginning. It's like the a couple good things. Like one, we're all friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. We work very hard. He's a, he doesn't seem like he fits in NASCAR, but Jack McBrayer is just such like a he's such a wonderfully optimistic oddball. He's just such a pleasant presence. Yeah, he's definitely got that um, kind of like the Leonardo DiCaprio factor of like he's more or less the same guy in every role he's in. He's just wearing different clothes at times or yelling a little bit louder or not as loud in certain situations um, if you're talking about Leonardo DiCaprio. And that's probably a controversial take for a lot of people, but um, I stand by it. I, I think uh, that definitely applies to Jack McBrayer in this film. He is who he is and in, in whatever you're watching him in. This is a rabbit hole that we don't have time for, but it is it is a very fun exercise to think about. Put Jack McBrayer in every single one of Leonardo DiCaprio's <laughs> roles and imagine, and imagine what the movie is like. <laughs> that's... That that's neither here nor there. That's 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 for another podcast. I don't like recording. his chances against when. the bear in the revenant. I'll tell you that. <laughs> the SNL needs to do something about <laughs> that. I need Lauren Michaels if you're listening, which I'm sure you are. By all means, he's feel a huge free to steal fan. That idea. Yeah, he's Lauren Michaels. He's a huge big screen sports guy. Everyone knows that. Um, a very difficult category to pick, uh, especially in in. A good spoof is the Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. There's a lot in this movie, but I think the pick might be clear. There, there's a just rapid fire a bunch I want to list off. There's Michael Clark Duncan as Lucius, the the pit boss. Um, David Koechner, who we haven't talked about at all. I think most people know him as Champ Kind, mm -hmm. but he's he's in the pit crew as well as Herschel. Um, Leslie Bibb is Carly Bobby. She's perfect as the driver's wife. For me, this is her most notable role. Um, Amy Adams, who we mentioned, there's a good chance that she will end up as the only Oscar winner in this movie whenever she gets her due. Um, Molly Shannon is Miss Dennett. Jane Lynch is Lucy Bobby. Uh, Houston Tumlin and Grayson, Wa Grayson Russell is Walker and Texas Ranger Bobby. Um, it's really they're, what these kids are most pick. known for. They're my pick, yeah. So they are my pick, except do you consider Reese Bobby, Gary Cole's Reese Bobby, a supporting character? I do. And it's really hard to not pick him because I had him as my, my two favorite quotes that weren't the uh, slam dunks that you mentioned earlier. But I think just the the presence that the kids bring, they do have that that levity. They bring the laugh out loud moments when Ricky's on a more serious, I say more serious by comparison, um, not serious by any means, but a more serious journey on his comeback the anarchy scene where they're spraying the old man through his window with water and, and trying to give him pneumonia. Like I tweeted the other day, that exact clip, um, not knowing that we are going to be doing this episode, um, at the time. And I said, you know what, these kids, this scene predicts 2020 cause they're, they're yelling anarchy and they're, you know, destroying things. And, and you have the younger, I think that's Texas Rangers, the younger one. And he goes, anarchy. 
I don't even know what that means, but I love it. And it's just like, while Ricky's on his own little journey, the kids, in a way, are kind of carrying um, a lot of the comedic effort. And that uh, they're doing that through their own reform um, with with Leslie Bibb. And the, the scenes of them, and it's all, it's mostly in the background of Jane Lynch. Jane, Jane Lynch, basically, not Leslie Bibb. Yeah, basically housebreaking them. Um, when she asks him, they, it's like how many, one of the kids asks him, how long do they have to do something or how many more times? They, and he says, how many more times are you going to toss me the radio in the bathtub? <laughs> <laughs> Which, um, I have a tough time picking against Gary Cole. And I do have to, I do have to say that I believe that next week's episode, I don't know, I've already recorded it, but I don't know when scheduling is, but I've already recorded the episode on dodgeball and not to spoil things. But he has a very strong chance to win the Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for that movie as well. Wow. It would make him the first first two time winner in one month of this award. But I, I mean, I I don't think I can argue against your pick as, with the kids though. The more you think about it, they're a consistent laugh out loud presence. I just will say that Gary Cole is thrown about 110 miles an hour in every scene he's in. I mean, he just comes in so hot during the career day scene. He's going for it. He's going for it every scene. You're right. Um, and it's a tough and pick. it's such a difference between his role in dodgeball too. his role in dodgeball is so much more understated and like playing the straight man to Bateman's, you know, uh, Pepper Brooks. And this one, he's just like, he's, he's off the reservation. I almost didn't even, you know, back when I, when I saw Talladega Nights, I didn't even put two and two together that that was the same actor because it's such a different performance. And it's, he's so, he's excellent in both of them. He's just absolutely fantastic. Um, the big chill, big chill moment in this movie, I will say up front, I do not get the chills. Not in the, not in the last scene. I don't, it do, this movie doesn't really hit me like that. What about you? Did you have a big chill moment? Uh, I don't know if this, so the big chill meaning that it just like strikes me to my core and, and just like stands apart from everything else. Yeah. It's like the, the moment in a sports movie. It's like when Roy Hobbs knocks out the lights okay. in the natural or when yeah. Mike Ruzioni scores the goal in miracle that right. the, the best emotional sports I, movies have those. I think this movie doesn't have that emotionally comedically at the climax, the final race when they, splice in the authentic Applebee's ad that was one of the funniest things I had ever seen when I saw it for the first time in the theater it was <laughs> so the crash it was so unexpected yeah the long crash you have the broadcasting crew saying I've never seen a crash last this long I think that moment for me comedically plot wise it means nothing but to just I don't know their brand of humor their sense of humor to put what looked like an actual TV commercial in the middle of a movie. I loved it. And I, I think it's one of my, like, creatively speaking, that's one of my favorite moments in any comedy movie, just uh, um, as far as editorial decisions go. Yeah, it's that's a great moment. I just, as far as a chill moment, I mean, this movie wasn't trying to do that either, so I'm right. not going to fault it for it. 
Um, wrapping up, would this movie make a good 30 for 30? I will say that a documentary about a driver coming back from a mental hurdle after a bad wreck would actually be interesting. Um, if this had, this had really happened, I would watch, I would watch a 30 for 30 on it. I've seen worse. Yeah. I think if we've all watched the last dance, that's kind of set the tone now for, you know, minimally edited, right? Like you're just relying on archival footage in er in interviews. And if you think about like a bunch of Ricky Bobby's close friends and family members and media members, like specifically talking about the moment where he melted down and ran around on the track in his underwear, like that in and of itself is a 10 minute uh, sequence of any good sports documentary. So yeah, I, I could definitely visualize that and see this being a fantastic 30 for 30. Stick a camera in front of Reese Bobby's face and just let him go for an hour. And it would make for great documentary footage. Yeah. I mean, the Applebee's thing, like, that's not something that would have been documented, but it's something that people would have heard about, right? And he would have had to answer for the the Applebee's incident, you know? Like, it's it's it writes itself. I think I hope somebody does it. I would love to see it. Uh, like, a, a fun spoof documentary. Yeah. I think that'd be amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wes, how would you improve this one? I think... If anything. I mean, it's a Hall of Fame movie for you, so yeah, it's tough to improve on near perfection. I don't think I would touch it. I really don't. I think it is a perfect commentary on Southern culture, NASCAR culture, um, all rolled into one, and it's got a, a pretty damn good plot as well. I wouldn't mess with it. Last category before more restore. Can I pitch you a sequel to this one? I was thinking about that today, and if you can make a sequel off of Anchorman, I guess you can make a sequel off of anything. And I would guess that if there were going to be a sequel about this, like maybe it would involve Ricky racing in a different uh, sport, like Formula One or, or something like that. I don't know. That is my yeah. thinking exactly. I would if like I would legitimately be ecstatic if they announced that they were they got the they got the crew back together they got if they got Farrell John C Riley and Sasha Baron Cohen and did a Ricky Bobby in Formula One especially because recently I've gotten very into Drive to Survive which is the Netflix Formula One documentary series I recently watched the documentary Senna which I thought was incredible so I'm a little more in tune on to formula one as opposed to having zero knowledge like when i when i first watched this movie i would love to see ricky bobby mm -hmm. in formula one like ricky bobby in touring europe and all those oh, exotic yeah. race destinations i think that could be rife for some some excellent comedy it's it's european vacation but instead you have a southern nascar driver experiencing that culture yeah how could you go wrong i mean i feel like it's so tough to get movies made now. They're just making different things than they were back then. But I feel like if they got Holmes and Watson made, like I still think John C. Riley and Will Ferrell can get movies made, can get an R-rated comedy made. And someone has to have had that idea. Someone has had to have pitched that idea to Ferrell and Adam McKay before. Now, Adam McKay is going much more into serious, at least like, Oscar worthy movies like something like Vice, but 
I, I don't know. I would love to see this. I, th- I think it would be fantastic. But until then, we can just continue to rewatch Talladega Nights because it's on TV all the time and they gave out DVDs to absolutely everyone. So everyone's got that. Uh, Wes, thanks so much for joining me. Talk about this one. Had a great time. Tell the folks again where they can follow you on social media. Yeah, my name is Wes Blankenship, and you can just search for my name, which is spelled B-L-A-N-K-E-N-S-H-I-P, or my handle, which is Wes underscore the letter N and the word ship, just to shorten down that 11-letter last name and make things a little bit easier for you. Well, Wes, thanks a ton for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Monday. Uh, Make sure if you want a question answered in the episode, go join that Facebook group. Just search Big Screen Sports on Facebook. Take a listener question for every episode. Uh, If you are a baseball fan, please go check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm presented by Baseball America. That comes at you every other Tuesday. And until then, we will see you next Monday. Thanks. Thank you, Kyle. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.